Amen, amen. Good morning. Happy Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. And I'll tell you what, uh, I don't know if you went, walked in the foyer, but as you walked by the foyer, you might have walked by one of our invitation cards here. And as you leave, if you haven't received an invitation card, I hope you would grab one on your way out. Because let me tell you something. Never underestimate the power of an invitation. I remember several years ago, maybe 17, 18 years ago, my wife and I, we, uh, we slept in on Sundays, you know, or we went fishing or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But there was one guy, and I don't even remember his name, but he invited us to church. And I tell you, that simple invitation changed the trajectory of my life, the tra- trajectory of how uh, my children were raised, the trajectory of how I love my wife. A simple invitation. So these are on the foyer, if you would, uh, as you walk out. And listen, Pastor Eric's got a great message for us, message of salvation, the message of Easter. And we should have a burden on our hearts to make sure that every seat is, is filled in here, social distancing applying, right? But that as many people can be in this sanctuary as possible. So I'll ask you a question. Will you grab one of these on your way out and invite somebody to church next week? Thank you. Praise God. Like Pastor said, my name is Robert. I'm one of the elders here at Freedom Bible Church, and I'm just going to wipe my head right here, okay? Because the last time I preached up here, I noticed that there was a big shining on Facebook, okay? And uh, I, I want to stop that right here. I'm going to go ahead and do this, all right? Take that shine away. And, uh, you know, the Lord says that uh, he knows the numbers of our head. You know, he don't have to count very high for mine, right? But don't be surprised one day that I don't come in here because uh, I've been researching. Andrew, I've been, I've been watching that Bosley thing, you know, where, where you get the hair. Don't be surprised one day. Don't make it weird for me, okay? That's all I'm saying is when I come in here and I got a full head of hair, okay? Just, just don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, like uh, the pastor said, we're in, the, we're in the Gospel of Mark today. We have been in the Gospel of Mark since January. And the Gospel of Mark is one of the shortest Gospels uh, of all the Gospels. But how many of you know it packs a powerful punch, right? And if you read this book too fast, you will miss a lot. So pastor has, has taken pains to slow down the word of God and, and shed light on certain things that, that we wouldn't normally see, right? And so uh, today is going to be no different. But today, we're going to take what I call the big gulp. Some of you know what the big gulp is, right? It's the original polar pop, right? But where the polar pop fails us with only 28 ounces, the big gulp gives us 32 ounces of deliciousness, of cherry Coke, of whatever your preference is, Diet Pepsi or Mountain Dew, whatever it is. So today we're going to go over 20 chapter, uh, 20 verses. <laughs> I, I tried that reading plan one time. It, was, it failed, I'll tell you. 20 verses. Uh, in the uh, in the book of Mark, we're going to start. So, if you will multitask with me, if you have your Bibles, if you will open your Bible to the book of Mark, to Mark four, please. And some of you have really fancy Bibles. I've seen them. They got these little fancy ribbons in them. You seen them? If you got a ribbon, go ahead and put your ribbon on Mark four, because we're going to go to Isaiah six nine. 
Okay, Isaiah 6, verse 9. But keep that ribbon on Mark 4. All right. I want to quickly acknowledge that this is, a, this is God's pulpit. It's stewarded by our pastor. And he trusts me and disciples me to stand behind it. And I just want to appreciate our pastor and also acknowledge that today is their 23rd year anniversary to his beautiful wife, Nicole, who sits here in our sanctuary. Can we, yes, can we give honor? The Bible says give honor. We're honored. Come on, we can do better than that for our pastor. Come on. Amen. And his beautiful wife. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. That's right. I'll tell you what. I love our pastor. I mean, if anything is said good today, if anything is said worth mentioning, it comes from him. <laughs> okay? Because he's heard this sermon before. All right? He's coached me through this. But um, the Bible says give honor with honors due. And I know our pastor. I love my pastor. And if, listen, if you don't have a relationship with our pastor, can I tell you it's your fault? Okay? It's your fault because he will make time to meet with you if you ask. All right? Praise God. All right. So we in Isaiah? Okay, all right. Well, just let me set this up for a minute. Let's see if we can set this up here. So today we're taking, like I said, the big gulp. We're gonna we're gonna read this this uh, verse in Isaiah, and then we're going to get into Mark. Okay. Now here's the thing. By this time, if you've been trekking with us, you've known that uh, Jesus starts to teach a little differently. He starts to teach in a way and communicate differently to the larger crowds. You see, the larger crowds are pressing up against him, and they're, they're getting great in numbers, and, and they're, they're, they're pawing at him, and they're wanting di- different things. They're wanting healing, and they're wanting uh, uh, sins forgiven, and they're wanting all these things that, that, that Jesus has to offer. But how many of you know Jesus, at this point, he's not impressed by the large crowds? We are, aren't we? I mean, that, if we go to a concert, if it was packed, that was a good concert, right? You know, if the sanctuary uh, is packed, if, if we walk on, watch television and we see a, a famous preacher and there's thousands of people in the sanctuary there, uh, that must be a, a good church, right? We're impressed with numbers, but you know what? Jesus wasn't so much. You know, Jesus, uh, he was more about quality than quantity. And I can prove that. You see, Jesus today, um, I think there's, Barna says that there's 2 billion people that profess Christianity in our lives, in their lives today. 2 billion. And what that means to you is that's the largest religion in the world. And that's not to mention the ones that came before and went to glory before that. That's just living today. And he did that with 12 disciples, ministering to 12 disciples. He turned the world upside down with 12 people. But because he was not interested and he was not impressed, he loved the larger crowds, but he wasn't impressed with their lives because for the most part, most of them didn't show the fruit of a changed life. Even after the healing, even after the teaching. And so Jesus changes the way he delivers his message. You see, what he does is he teaches in a way that reveals the truth, but hides it at the same time. He reveals the truth, but hides it at the same time. 
And if he does that, then who is to tell the difference? That's what we're going to learn today. Amen. Another thing we're going to learn today is that, that Jesus, as Pastor just said, Jesus wasn't who they thought him to be. Now, he healed the most hideous of diseases, leprosy. He caused the, the leper to, to stand up, take his mat, and walk. He uh, spoke with outstanding authority to where when he speaks, something shifts within you. And many people even understood Jesus to be a king, to be the son of God. But having knowing all that, they still had him wrong. You see, they believed Jesus to, like as Pastor just said, to, to lead a revolution, to overthrow Herod, and then to go further and overthrow the, the Roman government, and to take his seat on the throne as the king and restore Israel back to its former glory. Back to the days of David, Solomon, and even further. They also thought Jesus to be a good Jew. What does that mean, a good Jew? A good Jew is a one that honors his family, his heritage. And Jesus, as we listened to last week, introduced a new family, a new heritage. His disciples. He says, who are my brothers and sisters? The ones that are close to him. The ones that trust him and obey the will of God in their lives. Jesus also was to announce his new kingdom, his spiritual kingdom. And all those who wanted to live in this new spiritual kingdom had to understand this new form of teaching. This new way of teaching. You want to know what it was? He told stories. He was a storyteller. He told stories that walked along a truth, the side of truth. He told a spiritual truth that walked along these stories. This was his new way of teaching. And there's this Greek word. It's actually two words that, that combine to make one word. The one, first word is para. If you're Hispanic, you can say para, para. Y'all try that, para. Ooh, that sounds good. That's great. And that means to, to walk alongside or to pair up, right? Then there's this other word that, that, mean, that says balo. Y'all say balo. That means to cast, to throw, or to scatter. And I was going to do this thing where y'all said it three times fast, but it's just, never mind. I didn't think it was going to go. But I would do it for you. Para, balo, para, balo, para, balo. Sounds like an English word, right? Parable. Parable. And so what a parable is, 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 is an idea that innocently walks alongside a truth that has a spiritual meaning. Right? It, it, it begins to uh, arouse our attention and to, to pique our interest. And we start to see ourselves in this parable. We start to see our own self in the story. That's the mark of a good storyteller, you know, is if he can speak and the person who's listening to the story sees themselves in the story. That's the mark of a good. Let me tell you something. Jesus was the master at this. He was so good at this. And what happens is once you see yourself in the story, 
your reflection starts to appear like holding a mirror. Okay? And how you look about into that reflection depends on how you, with, with a humble heart, you can see God's truth working on you. And this mirror, and I'm going to ask you to, we're going to reference this mirror several times today. This mirror turns into a portal. And this portal is how we see God's truth, this window. And depending on how we see God's truth in our lives, through our reflection, in the story, and how we respond to it determines what further truth Jesus will reveal to us. All right? So, three things I want to do today. Number one, I want to talk about, see, Jesus does this. Jesus speaks to the large crowds. And he speaks in parables. And to some, they're confusing to some people. So number one, I want to tell you what Jesus is saying to the large crowds. Number two, I want to tell you what, how Jesus explained these to his closest followers, his disciples. And then finally, Robert, what does that mean for us today, sitting in the sanctuary today? All right, so Jesus is going to, I'm going to tell you about what Jesus uh, taught the large crowds, how he explained it to his disciples, and what that means for us today. Amen. So what I'm going to do with our time is I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to read our scripture in Isaiah. I'm going to give you some context, and then I'm going to see what God has for us, okay? If you're all ready, say, I'm ready. We're in Isaiah 9 and 10, okay? And I'm reading out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. But like I always say, if your Bible says Holy Bible, you're good. And he replied, go, say to the people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafening their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. If you have one of those pretty Bibles, would you lift them up too? Just lift them up right here, okay? We're going to lift up the Word of God this morning in posture as we pray. Lord Father, we thank you so much for your Bible. We love our Bibles, Lord Father, because it's the power of truth. Paul speaks about the Bible being power, Lord Father, which is your energy given to us, Lord Father. And when your energy gets into us, Lord Father, uh, it, it, it works with our mind, our heart, our hands and feet. So, Lord Father, we get to partner with you in your, your mission here on earth, Lord Father. So we ask you for your power today of understanding, of knowledge, Lord Father, to provoke us to good works. Lord Father, I selfishly ask for myself to use this power, Lord Father, to stand in my mind and my body, speak through my mouth, Lord Father, and sync with my mind all that you would have your people know, understand, say and do. Lord Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto your sight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You like TV? TV, television. You like TV? I love television. I love it. I remember when I was a kid, when 8 o'clock on Thursday night, it got close to 8 o'clock, I would run home as fast as I could, sweating. And I'd sit myself in front of the television and guess what? On Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, 
these two brothers, Bo and Luke Duke, would get together in this orange Dodge Charger called the General Lee, and they would contend with Boss Hogg and Roscoe Pico Train, right? Who remembers the movie, the show, The Dukes of Hazard, right? You remember that? It was an awesome show. Yeah, that's right. But it's changed over the years, hasn't it? Because yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I had to suffer through this thing called commercials. And for some of you that don't know, commercials are these like two-minute advertisements that happen about every seven minutes of a show. Some of you don't know what they are because technology today has made it to where we don't have to watch commercials anymore, do we? With the, with the invention of, 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 of Netflix and Prime and Hulu and the DVRs, we don't have to suffer through Colgate. The new and improved, right? So, so things have changed since since uh, I was a kid. But guess what? TV is still TV. We still enjoy it. Matter of fact, the most introverted people can come together and they can say, "What you watching?" And it'll spark a conversation, right? So, just to prove this, because I see there's a little doubt on some of your faces that TV is. Uh, is that you love TV, I'm going to sing a jingle. Matter of fact, I'm going to sing several jingles. You know what? Jingle is a song that's associated with a show. And in this jingle, I'm going to have three different generations here so nobody feels left out. But I think even the youngest generation can tell me the oldest jingle. You ready? Let me tell you a story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family head. Then one thing, one day, he was shooting at some food, then out from the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black Texas tea. Tell me what that is. The Beverly Hillbillies. Now, I will tell you, the Beverly Hillbillies was before my time. It was before my time. But thank, thank God for syndication. Thank God for reruns. I was able to understand and know Ellie Mae and Jed and Granny and all those good things, right? But when I was a teenager, when I was a youth, this was it right here. In West Philadelphia, I was born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days, chilling out, maxing, relaxing and cool, and shooting some basketball outside of school. When a couple guys from my neighborhood were up to no good, and they started making... I, there you go. You know it. I got in one fight. I got in one fight. I knew I was going to trip. I got in one fight, and my mom got scared, and she moved to my auntie in Bel Air, right? Who can tell me that? You guys got it. You guys know better than I do, right? But you know what? I feel like I'm losing a segment of our community. I think some of the younger people are not getting this. So, so I got something for you guys. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Who's jealous and porous and and absorbent is he? <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants, that's right. Everybody, see, you proved to me. You guys even know television better than I do. Everybody loves television. And if Jesus was today, he was, he was walking with us today, he, he would use television to teach us. One of my partners in ministry, Tracy Davis, is really good. We've been a youth, he's been a youth pastor for years, and I got to partner with him. And he always was good about telling a spiritual truth through a movie, right? But back then, they didn't have television, did they? Back in the days of Jesus in Mark 4, they didn't have to. But what they did have, they all knew farming. 
And so what Jesus did is he leveraged this idea of farming to teach them a spiritual truth. So what Jesus taught them here is, is, is we're going to start, we're going to go ahead and get that ribbon and open our Bibles up to Mark 4. I think we're going to have the words on the screen here. I'll let you have time to open that up. Mark 4, and it says here, and again, at verse 1, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into the boat on the sea and sat down. Stop right there, sat down. You see, as Jesus was walking, they were wanting something from him. They were wanting his touch. They were wanting so much from him. So he had to separate himself from the crowd. And he's done this before, but he does this again. This really interesting thing that he does. He, he gets in a boat and he separates himself from the crowd. But here's the thing that you probably don't know. That the teachers of those days, the rabbis, when they taught, they taught mostly from a seated position. If you read the scriptures and the gospels about Jesus when he's in the synagogue and he teaches, he's sitting down. And, and the scriptures tell us that he sits down when he does this. And so when he sits down, he's letting them know, listen, it's teaching time right now. Okay? It's not more healing right now. There may be a spiritual healing that happens beside you, but right now I'm here to teach. He's letting them know real quick here. And then it says here, and while he sat down, the crowd was by the sea on the shore. And he taught them many things in parabolos. In his teaching, he said to them, listen. Listen. You see, one thing that Jesus wanted them to do is he wanted to separate himself from the crowd. So he got on this boat. And it must have been an awesome thing for him to get in this boat and use the water, that, which would reverberate his, his voice and make his voice carry. And this lake that he was preaching around, it had a mountain range, would also trap the, the, his voice inside the mountain range. So he was able to reach people from far off with just his voice by him sitting in the boat. Acoustics, it must have been like having a microphone or a megaphone. And he, he was really big about them hearing. Thirteen times in this chapter, he talks about hearing. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But he just doesn't want them to hear. He wants to step further. It says here in the scripture at the beginning of verse 3, it says, listen. Listen. How many of you know that there's a difference between listening and hearing? Right? Many of you ladies, if you look at your husbands, don't look at them right now. But you know that there's a difference between what your husband hears and whether he's listening, right? Mark Gunger, as a pastor and a marriage therapist, he talks about, he says, uh, statistically, men need three times, tell them three times before they really understand, um, you know, something, you know. So I give my wife permission, Christy, to grab my shoulders and says, there's a wedding next Saturday. Is your suit ready? Right? And I'll be like, oh, okay. I get it, you know. So there's a difference between listening. If, and if we're, we got some parents in here, I know y'all can testify. Oh, I heard that, right? Yeah, when, when your kids, are you telling your kids something and they do this thing to you? Yeah, okay, I get you, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. Are you finished? Okay, yeah, right? They're not listening, but they're hearing, right? So Jesus, 
He wants them to listen. It's big that they listen. And in verse 3, I'm going to go. It says, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. And he sowed some seed that fell along the path and the birds, and they devoured it. The birds came and devoured it. And the other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7 says, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the good ground, and it grew up, producing a fruit that increased 30, 60, 100 times. Then he said, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Jesus wanted them to listen. That's what Jesus told the large crowds. And some of those people got it. Some of those people kind of understood what he was saying. But a lot of those people, they did that thing with the dogs too. Huh? What? What you talking about, Willie? Right? Listen. Jesus wanted them to listen. You know what marks a good listener? I had a friend of mine who's, who's discipling some people. He says, Robert, how can I tell if my discipleship is effective? And I'm here to tell you it's the same thing as being a, a good listener. You know what it is? They ask questions. They ask questions that they don't understand. They ask questions. And the disciples don't disappoint. They ask questions. That's like, Jesus, we understand what you told the large crowds, but we need more. We need to know, you know, what you're saying and how we can implement in our lives and how we can use this parable about the sower and the seed. So Jesus, he does this. He tells them, matter of fact, um, he tells them that this is the key that unlocks all the other parables. So verse 10, he says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. So that, and here's that verse that I read earlier. They may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. You see, this always used to bother me when I heard this. Because I understood what a parable was and that it hides the truth and it reveals the truth at the same time. But I was wondering, why would Jesus want to hide something? I mean, doesn't the Bible say in John 3, 16 that, that, that he loved the world? Right? Why would it be a segment be separated? And so I didn't understand this parable until this. You see, in Ezekiel 33, he says that Jesus, it burdens him when the wicked die. You see, that he wants all of the people to come into his fold. But here's the thing. Here's the one thing I want to hear. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to entice you. He's not going to manipulate you to follow him. He's not going to bend or compromise you to follow him. He wants you to follow him under his own merit of how you listen. He's a gentleman. And those who wanted to follow Jesus truly will start to ask questions. 
So he tells them. And this is what he tells them pretty much. is that the seed here, it equals the word of God. It's like the word of God where he's scattering the seed. It's the word of God. And, and here's the thing. The Bible says that the seed never returns void. It's like ice on a mountaintop. And in the springtime, it melts and it comes into the river and, and it vegetates. It, it, it works to, 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 to help with the vegetation along the river, right? And then it gets hot in the dry season and it evaporates and it goes back to where it came from. That's like the word of God. It comes. It does its job. And it goes back to where it came from. So the, 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 the word of God never comes void. It's always purposeful. Then there's the sower. And the sower is God. But by extension, us. Right? Us being the hands and feet of God. Sowing seed. Scattering seed. We're the sower. Then there's the soil. And really, this is called the parable of of the sower, but it should have been called the parable of the seeds, and I'll tell you later. But the soil represents the condition of the human heart. The condition of the human heart. And the soil of the heart must be prepared to receive the heat seed. This must happen before the seed can take root and harvest. The seed or word of God is alive and able to produce spiritual fruit, but the seed must be planted before the harvest to come. As in that day like today, there were four different conditions of the heart, four different soils. Let me go back to the seed real quick, the seed and the sower. You know, a lot of us, we scatter seed and we get a harvest. And they may not be good seed. You see, the scripture talks about how we reap what we sow. You know, whatever you feed the most grows the most. Ask Christy, she feeds me all the time. What are you feeding? What are you scattering? Think about that. Hold that mirror up and think about my life. What am I sowing in my children's life? What am I sowing around my friends? What am I sowing around my people at my workplace? Is it foul language? Is it drink in excess? Is it gossiping? Because let me tell you something. There's going to be a harvest of that. That's just a spiritual, that's a natural truth. There will be a harvest to come. You will reap what you sow. And I don't mean to be gloom and doom here. But I want to do like the prophet did. I want to warn you. To be conscious about this. To hold this mirror up in, your, in front of you. And understand, what seed am I sowing? I hope you're here because you want to sow God's seed, the word of God. That's what, that's what we're talking about today. And this is the secret to the kingdom, the secret that, that if you receive it, God reveals more to you. So, you know, some of us, we come to church we walk in this place and we're broken. We are um, bruised. Some of us feel abandoned. Some of us feel alone. 
Some of us come in here with real hurts. But you sit in this seat, you sing through one fast song and three slow songs, you hear a 37-minute sermon, and by the time you get into your car, there's no change in your life. Why is that? Jesus tells us. He tells us, just like Isaiah said. We've been listening to some good sermons, haven't we? Pastor really breaks it down for us. But sermons are like an appetizer. You ever go to the restaurant and order an appetizer? You know the restaurants do this, not so so they can be full. You see, the restaurants understand that that these appetizers are sweet and salty. And what they do is they they work in your saliva glands, right? There's there's this thing called the inami that work in your saliva glands to make you want more, to set you up for the main course. And some of us treat sermons, and the, the sermons are just like an appetizer. They actually are. The best sermon given by the best communicator that you can think of is nothing but an appetizer. It may be good. It may be inspirational. But by the time you get to your car, you done forgot it. It's never brought up again. Why is that? I used to date this girl, and I loved it too, because she only ordered appetizers. Andrew, my bill was cheap, buddy. I, I tell you what, I could get out of there. on a date, man, it was good. But then I met Christy. And she said, no, you ain't going to get out so cheap. You see, appetizers are cheap. The sermon requires little effort except for you to come into this church and sit down and listen for a little bit of time and leave. That's cheap. That's inexpensive. But Christy introduced me to the go box. The to-go box. She says, you know what, I'm only going to eat a little bit. That There's a box in there that I can carry this home, and you're going to spend some money on me. Listen, Caleb, my wife's, uh, my daughter's boyfriend's here. Uh, they, the Alexander women, they read the menu backwards. They, get, they, they, they plan out their dessert first and work their way back to the appetizer, right? How many of us are satisfied with appetizers? Really? So let me tell you what the main course is. Let me tell you what the main entree is. It's your personal study time. It's taking the word of God. One of my favorite things is taking what Pastor Eric says on Sunday and Monday morning, seeing if I can expound upon that for myself. The meal, the main entree is going to our small group on on Sunday night and, and, and discussing this amongst our small groups. To seeing what angle are you seeing it from or are you seeing it from that will help me in my walk. I love our small groups. They allow this to happen. You know, we have, a, I think I counted seven small groups in this church. Seven small groups. We have one that meets on Sunday night. We have uh, two adults, that, adult ones that meet on Wednesday nights. And we have four that meet here on Wednesday nights. One that meets on Tuesday nights for the young adults. And that's where... 
That's where the main entree happens. That's where the, the Bible says that we chew on the cud. It's a, it's a disgusting word picture of, of a cow eating something. And he would chew it up and he would swallow it. And it would go into his stomach where it would digest a little bit. But guess what would happen? It would come back up. Ooh. For him to chew it again and again. It's called chewing it on the cud. That's how we need to treat the word of God. Right? Is the sermon just an appetizer? Because if you leave here coming in bruised and broken and abandoned and alone, and you leave here feeling the same way you did, if you're on your way to, to, uh, to Cracker Barrel or to Monterey and you still feel like there's emptiness there, you need to check the ground that the seed is falling on. That's an amen right there, y'all. Okay? You need to check the ground that the seed is falling on. Like I said, Isaiah said, and Jesus repeated, they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed hear and yet understand. Otherwise, that they might turn back. That's repentance, y'all. And be forgiven. Last week, we had communion. Communion is a great opportunity for us to reflect on God's goodness and also for us to reflect on, is there anything keeping me from taking this communion? Even in the, even in the Lord's Prayer, right, he gives us an opportunity for repentance there and to remember things, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive those that we trespass against, right? And have, you know, we ask him for forgiveness as well, right? All that is to put our minds and our hearts in the right place to be good soil. The Bible's connected, y'all. There is a thread from Genesis to Revelation, and that thread is Jesus Christ and his power and his message for us. So we got these uh, four soils here. I want to explain, I want to expound upon them a little bit, just so you understand what they mean and what they mean for us. And listen, I want to tell you, you're probably going to get a little mad at me right now when I some of the things and the conditions and the hindrances of these soils, and I think that's good. I accept that because I know when you have a spouse or a loved one and you get in an argument and it gets really heated, you get really mad. A lot of times that happens because the other person is telling the truth. Right? You just don't want to admit it. So he talks about the path. He speaks about this in Mark 4 and 15. And the path is the condition of the hard heart. The hard heart. All right? And while we hold our mirror here, I know a lot of us, we don't want to think of ourselves as the person with the hard heart. But, but if you want to change, if you want change to happen in your life, I want you to consider this. I want you to hold the mirror up and see yourself in the story. But the hard, the path was a place uh, where a lot of people would trek. And it would crush the ground to where it was hard. You see, back then in those days, they had fields, but they didn't have fences in their fields. There was no gates. So you just knew this is my plot. This is your plot, right? And, and you just knew that. And they would scatter the seed, right? But they didn't want to mess up their whole system here. They wanted to harvest. So they would check a small path that they would keep so they wouldn't ruin the rest of the harvest, the rest of the, 
uh, the harvest. So, uh, so what happens is people would walk and they would travel and they would look at the field and they would say, oh, there's a path for me to go through. And so I'll use that path not to disrespect these people with their growing and I'll just walk on this path. But here's the thing about the path. It's hard. The seed, when it falls on it, it just stays on top. It doesn't absorb. And, 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 and Jesus tells us that the, Satan sends his birds to devour, right? It's hard. These people that have hard hearts, they're in here now. They're listening online. They're in all of our sanctuaries and all of our churches. These are the intellectual hearers. These are the people that have agendas, right? And the word of God fits their agenda. You know, they, 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 they omit certain Bible verses, but they proclaim ones that walk alongside their agenda. You know, God means all things to work for the good. Yeah, that's me. For those that are called according to his purposes. <laughs> These are the intellectual hearers. These are the people who... Uh, condemn, complain, and criticize. Gossip. So if you've gossiped, this is, this is hard truth. Right? Then he speaks about the rocky ground. The rocky ground, and that's in verses 5 and 6 and explained in 16 and 17, and that's what I call the shallow heart. They take no root because the rocky soil won't allow the seed to grow deep. This represents the emotional hearer. With gladness, they receive the word, but they don't understand the cost it takes to be a Christ follower, to be a disciple. These are the people that go to conferences and let it loose at passion. They let it loose at move. They let it loose at promise keepers. They're praising God. They're asking for forgiveness. They're going to the altar. They're, they're walking. Their expression and their worship is different. It's free. But when they walk back into their home church, what would they think of me if I yell? What would they think of me if I praise God? And then they get persecution. They feel persecution from their own people. I remember trying out for football at Richmond Academy and showing up and the coach told us, everybody who tries out gets to play. And I was excited because I wanted to play. And Everybody tried out. Sure enough, about a hundred and something people came out and tried out. I was thinking, I was doing the math. You know, I wasn't that smart, but I did some good, pretty good math. You know, I was like, 11 people on offense, 11 people on defense. That's 22. We got a hundred and something people. How is everybody going to play? Are we going to to make a, a, a an effect of winning a game, right? And I asked the coach. I says, Coach, you said everybody's going to play, right? He said, yeah. And you looked around, and everybody's got the eye makeup. They got the headbands and everything, you know, man. They, they, they're walking around, you know. Back then, we used to wear these, like, stupid netted shirts so you could see our muscles, you know what I mean? And, and, and we're walking around, 
And, you know, we're playing the part of the football player, right? We're all jocks, you know? And I asked the coach, I said, Coach, you said everybody's going to play. He had a cigarette. He just smoked a cigar. He put it in his mouth, and he looked at his assistant coaches, and he says, you'll be all right, son. And he laughed, and they laughed. And I couldn't, I didn't get the joke. Until later on, the next day, coach introduced pads to practice. See, before them, we were doing conditioning drills. Now, he, put, he brought pads to practice. And there's this thing I'm not going to explain it to you, but it's called the Oklahoma drill. And all I can tell you is it's pain involved, even with pads, right? And then the next day I came to practice, those hundreds of people turned into 50 people. They were excited. They had the eye makeup and everything before. But man, a little bit of resistance. But, you know, see, if I, I like how Matthew talks about it. Matthew says, when he talks about the same per, uh, parable, he talks about the heat of the day scorches the root and withers away. It's like the, when the heat comes on, these people, they leave. They don't stay because they have no root. And then there's the, the other seed. This is the, the, um, the thorns he talks about in verses 7, 18, and 19. He said they're sown among the thorns. And I want you to write down, this is the crowded heart. The crowded heart. You see, if, if Jesus, uh, if, if you, I'm sorry, had a pie chart in your life, and uh, Jesus would definitely have a piece of the pie in, in this life, but so would my kids practice, so would work, so would recreation, so would so many other things. And what happens is all these other things choke out the main thing. Like thorns, they choke them out. They take all the nourishment. They take all the time. There's many of you that come to church here, and I don't mean to condemn you or anything like that, but listen, you know, we only have two Sunday school children's teachers because people are so busy. People have so much going on in their lives that they just sit in here for an appetizer and they leave. Then there's the last. The, well, in between that, actually, yeah, there's the good soil. And Jesus talks about the, um, oh, I was going over this with the pastor, you know, and, and he brought up a good comment. He says, you know what? Um, half commitment equals no commitment. Pretty, pretty powerful. If you got notes, you should be taking that down. Half commitment equals no commitment when it comes to the thorns. But there's the good soil. And this is the soil that represents uh, a harvest. The scriptures say 30, 60, sometimes 100 fold. But I was, again, in further discussion with the pastor, he even told me that, you know, back in those days, even 8% of a harvest was considered a good harvest. And Jesus is saying, no, you get past 8%. You'll get 30, 60, even 100% good harvest when the good soil. But here's the thing about the good soil. If you ever spend any time in Israel or you've seen pictures, it doesn't exist. It has to be cultivated. If you go to Israel, it's nothing but rocks and dry ground and weeds. Even today, with their irrigation systems and everything like that, it, it, 
it's not like driving to Burke County or Jefferson County and seeing those beautiful green fields, you know? And I don't, I'm going to tell you something. This should bring hope to you. This message, this is where the message turns into good news. Because you can partner with God in changing your ground. You can walk onto the ground, the dry ground, and you can take a hoe or something and soften that ground up. If there's something in you, if there's a hardness of there, if there's, if there's things that you're holding on to that you won't let go, if there's unforgiveness in your heart or something, you can change that. So God can change you. You can make your heart, hard heart soft to accept the seed. You can go in there and, and, and take out the rocks. There were rocks everywhere in Israel. Dig out the rocks. Pitch them to the side. Why am I such an emotional hearer? I'm here today and gone tomorrow. Why can't I just take root? Dig out the rocks in your soil. And then there's weeds. You know, in Israel, weeds grow everywhere. That's the one thing that can live in the dry desert is weeds and thorns. And even out west, when I lived out west, you couldn't walk barefooted because there were these things called tumbleweeds. And they were everywhere. Every, every, you, couldn't be, you couldn't have bare feet out west. They would hurt. Thorns are everywhere. They have to be plucked and taken out. I like the scripture uh, uh, in, in Psalm 23 where he says that he prepares the place for my enemies, right? He plays a place for me to eat before my enemies. And what that is is a word picture of, of, of a shepherd going to a, a place up high, a tabletop, what's called mesa, tabletop, what I meant, a tabletop where good fruit would be, good food would be. And he would go in and he would pluck out the bad stuff that would make the sheep sick. He would go, he would pluck out, he would take out the weeds that would cause their sheep to have bad digestion, make them sick. What weeds do you have in your heart that needs to be that Jesus needs to help you with? See, he's the power. He's the one. If we would just humble ourselves and allow him to do this, to cultivate our good soil. So your soil can be a good soil. But how many of you know that sometimes we have good soil? But sometimes there's a hardness that happens. Sometimes we have an ought with a brother or sister. Sometimes we get our feelings hurt. Sometimes we... You know, there are things that we get excited about and, and we, you know, and God gives us an opportunity. You know what? That's just an opportunity for us to get in there and work with our hands and partner with God. You know, later on, pastor's going to preach a sermon about how, you know what? We can do the possible by sowing the seed, but he will do the impossible, right? He will do, while you're sleeping at night, mysteriously, this fruit grows without any help from us, really, you know? He does that. We need to depend on God. So if you, if you feel like you, I put a finger on something, and maybe you're mad at me about this, or maybe you want to contend with me about something like that, that might be something that needs to change in your life. So if you've uh, you got some hardness of soil, I want to, I want to tell you, um, in Ezekiel 36, 26, 27, he says, he says, I will give you a new heart. This is God. I will 
Put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. If you've got a hard heart, it's time to let go of something. Let's let go. Let's give it to God. Let's give the soil an opportunity for the seed to take root in our lives. You know, these are hindrances for us to be our best person. Unforgiveness. Is there one person? I know everybody's probably got one person in their heart, one person that in your mind is absolutely unforgivable in your heart. They're living rent-free in your mind and your spirit. You don't even know it. You need to give that up. God's got something for you if you give it to him. If your heart is shallow, this is what you do. You need to dig deeper and make, make room for your root to go, grow. Invest in the word of God. Invest in God's people. Receive discipleship. The word says in Luke 6, 48, it says, He is like a man building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on the rock, whose flood, who comes and the flood comes, and, and the rivers crash against the house, and the house cannot be shaken because of how well it's built. And then comes our harvest, the 30, 60, 100, for us with the good soil. Right? You have your mirrors still with you, or did you break them? Let's really honestly take a deep look at this scripture. Let's let this be the appetizer and let's examine our hearts as we continue to read this scripture and let it speak to our lives, okay? So I challenge you not to forget what I'm saying before here in the parking lot, but extend it for your lunch. Talk about it as you speak uh, to your family members or your friends. If you do that, I tell you what, there's a good harvest that's coming, right? So let's pray. I want to invite the worship team to come up here. This is a good opportunity, by the way, right now for us to start this plowing. For us to start loosening the ground excuse me, so the seed can work. We have a posture here. We have, a, we, we have this altar right here. It's padded for your knees and your comfort. But it gives you an opportunity to forsake everybody in here kind of and what they think about you and just do business with God. Now, you don't have to come here. You can do it simply at your seat. But I encourage you to do it, to release yourself. Can I tell you this? I give you permission if you need permission. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Father, we thank you so much for this day. Today is truly a day that you have made, Lord Father, and we will be glad in it, Lord Father. We thank you for the triumphal entry, Lord Father. We thank you for Palm Sunday and what it represents in our life, Lord Father. And today is a big week for us, Lord Father. It's the biggest day of our year. It's the year, Lord Father, where you come and and, and you give us new life through your resurrection, Lord. And we all get happy about Christmas and we're excited about Christmas, Lord Father. How many of you know... Lord Father, it will not be a Christmas without Easter. So we celebrate this Easter and we walk with you, Jesus, through all the steps, the upper room, the prayer in Gethsemane, Lord Father, and 
all those things that you that you have, the washing of the disciples' feet, Lord Father, through this week. And pray, I pray, Lord Father, that these people here will continue to sing Hosanna, Hosanna, till the till till the day when the stone is changed, Lord, the stone is moved. Lord Father, if this person's hard, heart is hard, help them to soften it. If their heart, Lord Father, is is shallow, help them get room to grow, Lord Father. If if there's thorns in their heart, Lord Father, help them to to be less, things less complicated, Lord Father, less uh, crowded. And then there's the good soil, Lord Father, and that's where we want to be. Lord Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.